True Crime South Africa is published in conjunction with Tiso Blackstar Group, publishers of Times Live, Business Live, Sowetan Live and others. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Tiso Blackstar Group or its affiliates. The following episode may contain sensitive material including descriptions of violence, sexual assault or graphic descriptions of injuries to victims. If you feel you may be triggered by such material, please consider this before accessing our content. To access trauma counseling or services, please see the helpline information on our show notes. Welcome to True Crime South Africa. I'm your host, Nicole Engelbrecht, and you're listening to our Spotlight Minisode in which we discuss true crime cases that are in the media right now. The first case I want to discuss today is a cold case which was recently solved through the use of DNA. In 2007, the body of 31-year-old Felicity Saliers was found amongst the vineyards on the farm Longlands in Stellenbosch. Felicity, a mother of three young children, was a seasonal farm worker. She'd been raped, strangled, and sustained major head injuries after being beaten with a rock. Her case went cold, and her family spiraled from the trauma that the crime had wrought upon them. Two of Felicity's children would go on to develop drug habits, and her father's health deteriorated from the stress and pain of watching years go by with no justice for his daughter. In August 2018, That all changed. While the details of exactly how a match was made are still hazy, it was announced that a man called Andrew Yordan had been linked, by DNA, to Felicity's murder. He was arrested. Sergeant Moses, a police officer with the Stellenbosch unit, had helped make the connection. It turned out that Andrew Yordan had committed another crime, almost identical to Felicity's, just a month after her body was found. Jordan had been arrested for that crime and sentenced to 10 years in jail. He'd been released on parole in 2013, but thanks to the vigilant Sergeant Moses, he would only have five years of freedom before going straight back to jail. During his trial, Jordan initially denied having raped Felicity, When he was confronted with the evidence of his DNA inside her body, he then changed his mind and said that he'd had consensual sex with her. The sexual assault upon Felicity Saliers was described by the judge as excessively violent. Jordan lived on the same farm as Felicity and her sister and was friends with her sister and her boyfriend. On the night of her murder, it's alleged that all of the locals had attended a huge 21st birthday party, and that was the last time that Felicity had been seen alive. Prosecutors believed that Andrew Yordan had lured Felicity away from the party to an isolated part of Longland's farm, where he'd proceeded to rape and murder her. Felicity's sister said that although they knew that Yordan had been arrested for another crime, Shortly after her sister's murder, the family hadn't thought for a minute that he was also responsible for Felicity's death, because, to their knowledge, the two didn't know each other. 
Yudan was sentenced to life for Felicity's murder, as well as an additional 10 years for her rape. I wanted to share this case with you because it really gives us hope for all the other cold cases out there. On Tuesday, the 5th of November, a human skull was uncovered at a construction site in Rustenburg. The site is where the multi-billion rand Rustenburg shopping mall is being built. All building work was halted, and the SAPS was called in to recover the remains. The skull will now be taken to the Victim Identification Centre, where it will be aged to determine how long the skull has been in the ground. The results of this test will determine whether the case will be handled by the SAPS or by the South African Heritage Resources Agency. The latter is the body in our country that handles sites of historical significance, including graves and burial sites. The construction site is 18 kilometres as the crow flies from Marapeng, also known as the Cradle of Humankind which is a UNESCO heritage site on which some of the most ancient fossils have been found. The building site is amongst a heavily built-up area, though, and in my opinion, if it was a burial site of historical value, more remains would have been found sooner. It's highly likely that the skull found was a victim of a crime. The questions now are when did this person die, was the cause of death unnatural, and can we determine the identity of the person? Hopefully updates on this case will come up in the media, and I'll keep you updated as it proceeds. I'd like to thank my anonymous source for the heads up on this case, as well as information about the process which will be followed. In other body part news, police divers were sent into Durban Harbour on Monday after a report came in from a ship that a severed arm had been seen floating among debris between a cargo ship and the wharf. Braving howling southeasterly winds, divers immediately entered the water and recovered the limb, which upon closer inspection, turned out to be a very lifelike medical training prosthetic. If you see the picture of this arm, it really looks like a severed arm, complete with a clump of bloody tissue on the end. I guess it was probably being used for first aid training on board a ship somewhere to teach crew members how to handle an accidental amputation situation and someone lost the arm overboard. Either that, or someone thought it would be hilarious to pop it in Durban Harbour and see how long it took for it to appear in the news. Thankfully, the police divers said they took it as an excellent training exercise in how they'd react should they be searching for a real severed limb in future. I was sent a clip of an interview that Gerard Labaskachny did with Jacaranda FM regarding kidnapping. Now, before anyone shouts at me, I have it on good authority that his name is pronounced Gerard and not Gerard. Not everyone with an Afrikaans surname is of Afrikaans heritage. The interview was in reference to the kidnapping of six-year-old Amy Lee Diaga. Amy Lee was snatched by four masked individuals outside of a school in Funabale Park 
on the 3rd of September this year. Thankfully, she was released by her kidnappers within 48 hours and was reunited with her parents. Four people, including a teacher at the school, who was also a personal friend of the family, were arrested and are currently awaiting trial. Social media exploded with the news of the missing girl, and I wondered at the time how good that type of exposure really is for a case like that. The reason I thought that is because of the possibility that kidnappers could fear being caught and end up harming the child to cover their tracks. In this interview, Gerard shares a similar view, although he distinguishes between two different types of kidnappers and their reactions to viral coverage of of their crimes. There's been a surge of kidnappings of high-profile businessmen recently, and in these cases, the ransom demands are huge numbers, sometimes in the hundreds of millions of rands. Gerard pointed out in the interview that these types of criminals are professionals, and in most cases, they don't get caught, and they also aren't worried about getting caught. So any awareness or social media coverage doesn't really bother them in the slightest. The other type of ransom kidnappers are usually doing it for the first time. They are nervous and they make mistakes, and they are very well aware that they could get caught. While Gerard says that there is value in circulating flyers in these cases, the problem comes in when people start publicly speculating on the identity of the kidnappers or family members of the kidnapped people make statements on social media. This can cause the kidnappers to either increase the ransom or try and cover their tracks by killing the victim. We want to be able to help in these cases. And of course, the very nature of this podcast is to bring awareness. Awareness is important and helpful. But I think that what we can take away from the information that Gerard is giving here is to think before we share or comment on things on social media. Ask yourself, what kind of case is this? Ask yourself if your comment could be helpful or harmful. And most certainly, if you have valuable information about a case, don't post it on social media. I'll place a link to Jacaranda FM's interview with Gerard Labaskachny in the show notes and on our website. Some of you may have discovered the True Crime South Africa podcast on YouTube, and I just wanted to mention a few things about that forum. As the show is a podcast, it's of course intended to be presented in an audio-only format. I chose to create a YouTube channel for the podcast because I know that many people have not yet discovered the world of podcasts. It's been highly beneficial as a way to get more subscribers. And if you do use YouTube, I'd appreciate if you subscribe to the channel, even if you'd prefer not to consume your content there as it does help to get more people finding the show. The YouTube channel is basically a repurposing of the audio that you're listening to now. And then I usually include some pictures from the case to flash on screen while the audio is playing. If there are no photos related to the case, then you'll just see the show art on the screen throughout. Creating a video out of the audio and uploading to YouTube is quite a long process. 
So I often only release on YouTube a few days after the episode releases on the podcast apps. I know that's confused a few of you because you're following on social media but not seeing the episode in YouTube at the same time. So I thought I'd explain that. If you'd like to get access to the episode as soon as it's uploaded, then you're better off following on a podcast app like Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. As we start nearing the end of the year, I'm looking back on everything that's happened in the last six months since the launch of this podcast. And it blows my mind how everything has fallen into place. When I created this podcast, it was going to be a hobby. Something I thought I would try because it interested me. And I figured it could be a useful platform for South African victims. I never for a minute thought that it would become as big as it has within such a short space of time. Don't get me wrong, it's been a ton of work. But I don't ever think about it as hard work, because I absolutely love it. I'm beyond grateful that I get to do this, and that you, the listeners, are enjoying the content and embracing the podcast as your own community as well. What we're doing here is pretty revolutionary. I don't know if you realize that. This podcast is the first of its kind in terms of being a victim-focused true crime podcast in the country. And you're a part of that. And not only that, but by using this platform, we're expanding the reach of all podcasts in South Africa. Podcasting has huge growth potential, and it is possibly the easiest way to get content out into the public. I'm so excited to be a part of that growth. And again, every single one of you is a part of that too. We are changing the way information reaches the South African public. How freaking cool is that? Anyway, there are actually no words to really express how grateful I am for this opportunity. So I'll express my gratitude in the way I know best. By working hard and remaining committed to you, the True Crime South Africa community. I've got two promos that I'd like to play for you today to help you expand your podcast library. The first is a podcast from the Tiso Black Star portfolio. Tiso has been kind enough to offer me the amazing opportunity of collaborating with them for the last few months to grow our listenership, which has made a phenomenal difference. And I'd really love it if you could give their other podcasts a try. The podcast I'm promoting today is their travel podcast called Sunday Times Travel, which is a fantastic resource if you've been bitten by the travel bug. Join me, Paul Ash, in a beautiful soundscape as we explore the world in the Sunday Times Travel Podcast. Find it at sundaytimes.co.za. The other podcast I want to tell you about is an American true crime podcast called The True Crime Files. Their format is quite interesting and very cool. The episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long each, and they do a bare-bones review of the case, and then they have more information on their blog and website. I highly recommend you give it a try. Here's their promo. 
Hi, I'm Christine, and I'd like to introduce you to the True Crime Files podcast, a bi-weekly podcast that focuses on mysterious disappearances and unsolved murders. Every two weeks, we'll be releasing an episode that'll help you get to know a case really well without having to invest a lot of your time. Derived from the articles upon the True Crime Files website, you'll find that our show covers a diversity of victims and perspectives. You'll probably also notice that our episodes are narrated by Scott Fuller from the Frozen Truth and Status Pending Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to the True Crime Files today so that you never miss an episode. Thanks so much for listening, being a part of our true crime community, and helping to shine a light on cases that might otherwise be overlooked or underreported. As a reminder, listener and Facebook group member, Toast Seegers, set up a Google Docs spreadsheet for us to keep track of all the true crime podcast and documentary suggestions. I posted the link on our Facebook page, and if you struggle to find it, please tag me and I'll give you the link. The spreadsheet is editable for everyone, so you can add your own suggestions. Thank you for the awesome idea, Toast. Thank you for listening to the Spotlight Minisode. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe on the platform you're using to listen and follow us on our social media pages. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. I'll be back next Friday with a new full-length episode. Until then, thank you for your support and I'll chat to you soon.